Hello and welcome to all. It is Thursday afternoon. I'm glad to have you joining along with Bill Allen here from downtown Tyler, Texas. Uh, it is uh, another Thursday edition of the Bible studies that I do on Facebook during 2024. We are going through the daily Bible in chronological order. That is edited by F. Lagarde Smith, wonderful Christian teacher and scholar and author. And uh, we find ourselves in uh, a very important time in the history of God's people. Uh, as we have looked over these last several days, if you're keeping up with the reading, you're just beginning to get into some of the tedious part, I think, of the daily Bible reading. And that is, we've been in the book of Exodus, which starts out like a house of fire with Moses being born and the Israelites being enslaved and then the 10 plagues and God sending Moses the burning bush, let my people go to Pharaoh, all of that. And that's a, an exciting thing. And uh, then the children of Israel go through the Red Sea, as we know, and then uh, go on their trek towards Mount Sinai, also called Mount Horeb in the Bible. That's referring to the same mountain. And it is the scene where uh, Moses had experienced the burning bush. And so he's going back to that area with the children of Israel this time. And they have taken everything. They have plundered the Egyptians. They've got the bones of Joseph that he had told them to take back with them as he looked ahead with faith, knowing they would one day be delivered by the God that had provided for him uh, through those difficult, difficult times. And so now they're on their way. And as they go, um, they are receiving some of the instructions from God. They receive instructions about the tabernacle. What in the world is that, Bill? Well, that is a kind of a tent-like structure. It's a temporary place to have the sacred articles uh, that would be the presence of God. Uh, God would give them instructions about the Ark of the Covenant <laughs> that Indiana Jones became uh, famous for. <laughs> and, um, and inside that Ark, there would be a, a bowl of manna that would never spoil. There would be Aaron's rod that would bud, and this would happen later when the Israelites were uh, squawking because Aaron was chosen to be the priest and his descendants after him. And so God put them through that little test to demonstrate that this was his will. Uh, and of course, the tablets of stone, but it's the second set of tablets, as we know. Much of what we're reading about right now, uh, we remember, those of us that have a few years on us anyway, remember the great movie with Charlton Heston as Moses and Yul Brynner as um, Pharaoh, uh, Edward G. Robinson as Dathan, this guy that just gives him a bunch of trouble and leads the ones who are the doubters. Um, I think um, Anne Bancroft or somebody was Nefertiti, Pharaoh's wife. Just a, a great, great film. Great, great film. And, um, and so a lot of the stories that we've read already and a lot of the ones that we're reading this week are found in that one, including the ones we'll talk about uh, today. And as they go along, they receive instructions for the tabernacle. Uh, they receive the instructions for the priests. Remember, Aaron would be the priestly tribe. And so uh, he and the oldest descendant after him of his would be the high priest, and the others would be the priests. 
Uh, remember, Abraham and Sarah had Isaac. Isaac was the son of promise. Isaac married Rebekah. Isaac and Rebekah had twins, Esau and Jacob, though he was the youngest. Jacob was the son of promise, whose name was later changed to Israel. Uh, Jacob uh, had uh, uh, fell in love with Rachel, but uh, his father-in-law, Laban, kind of pulled a fast one on him and had him marry Leah, uh, Rachel's older sister, first. And Jacob, uh, jo Jacob worked uh, 14 years for the two of them. And during that time, he also had uh, children from them, but also children from their handmaids, according to the custom of the day and the squabble between the two women, Rachel and Leah. And um, Rachel had Benjamin and uh, earlier Joseph. Benjamin was the youngest son of Jacob. And Joseph was the other son of his beloved Rachel. Uh, Judah would be one of his sons through Leah, and Judah would be the ancestor of Jesus Christ. Uh, Levi, another son of, of uh, uh, Jacob and uh, Leah, uh, Levi would be the one that the priests would come from. They would be descended from uh, Levi, including Aaron and his brother Moses and their sister Miriam. Uh, and so that gets us to the priests in Exodus 29 and how God begins to give them instructions for all of that. And then we have them coming, of course, during this time uh, to uh, the mountain, to Mount Sinai. And it's here that, um, that Moses receives uh, the Ten Commandments. Along the way, they squabble. God provides for them, provides manna, provides quail. Um, and provides water from a rock, as we know, and lots of great stories uh, during this time, uh, including the giving of the Ten Commandments. And that's found in a couple of places, but I think the one that I typically go to is Exodus chapter 20. And it starts out like this, Exodus 20, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And it's a, a, an important thing for us to remember that before God gives them the commandments, the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law, he reminds them that he has already delivered them. It's, um, it's that indicative that comes before the imperative. The imperatives are the commands, and they're important. But the indicative is what comes first. God doesn't tell them, hey, I'll deliver you out of Egypt if you'll just be faithful to me. He doesn't do that. He delivers them, and he brings them through the sea. He brings them into the wilderness. He gives them their freedom, and he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and now <clears throat> he's ready to give them uh, what we call the Ten Commandments, and um, that is uh, begins with this one, you shall have no other gods before me. Second one is similar but different. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven and on earth. So you can't worship anyone but God, anything but God. And you can't worship God, the one true and living God, with an image. When we get to the golden calf, it's a good question as to which of those two they were breaking. Because what they say when they, when they make that golden calf is behold your gods israel who brought you out of egypt well maybe they're worshiping a, a calf but maybe they're making an image 
to worship the one true and living God, both are equally wrong. Jesus, of course, when asked what the greatest commandment would be, would not quote this one, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, rather would quote what we'll read later on in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the sacred Shema, um, uh, you, uh, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Very similar. So no other gods. Don't worship the true and living God with an idol or image. And then the Ten Commandments continue. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Remember, as we saw last time, the Sabbath is the seventh day. Christians worship on the first day of the week, Sunday, in commemoration of the Lord's resurrection. Next commandment, honor your father and your mother. And this is the first commandment, as is later said, with the promise, as Paul quotes it in uh, Ephesians, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Um, and generally speaking, that's true. If you follow your parents' counsel, uh, you'll probably live better and longer. There are exceptions, of course, but again, that's a general statement. Uh, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. In other words, you shall not lie. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. So no materialism. And it's interesting that of those 10 commandments, four of them are vertical related to our relationship with God, uh, the first ones. But then the last ones, the final six, the majority of them have to do with how we treat each other. And so we remember Jesus saying the great commandment is to love the Lord your God. But the second is like it, he said, Quoting also from the law, this time from Leviticus 19, verse 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we'll get to that one as well. And so Moses receives uh, the Ten Commandments from the Lord, and he continues on, and Israel is going to be a theocracy. They're not a democracy. They are a theocracy. The United States is not a theocracy. Uh, God's law is not the law of the land. Um, we are a democratic republic, and so that's where we get our laws. And sometimes I like them, sometimes not so much. Uh, but we know that God's law for the child of God comes first. But under that umbrella, we can follow the laws of the land almost, almost the, the vast majority of the time, let me say it like that, because they do not contradict God's law. But when we have to make a choice, and we hope and pray that that doesn't happen, um, but Ultimately, it could be in this country that we will be forced to either uh, disobey a clear commandment of God or um, disobey the law of the land and face punishment. I hope that we will be strong enough to stand firm with the word of God, and I hope and pray that it doesn't come to that. But it's already that way in many parts of the world and was certainly that way for the early Christians early Christians in the first century. Uh, God guides them by day with a, um, a pillar of cloud, a cloud, and he guides them by night with a pillar of fire. And he is guiding them through the land. We'll see a little bit later why they're stuck there for 40 years. That has to do with the spies that go out. Uh, but we'll get there, not quite there just yet. And so uh, God chooses Moses to be the high, uh, the, the, the lawgiver. He chooses his brother Aaron to be the high priest. And then Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, who will prove to be unfaithful, but for now are next in line 
as the in the priesthood uh, and so they go up and um, and join Moses and Aaron and 70 elders of Israel in Exodus 24 and they go up and they have this meal this feast with uh, the Lord and it's a great a great moment and um, and it's a it's a wonderful wonderful thing uh, God gives them the uh, tabernacle instructions and if you're one of those detail people then uh, you'll love it and you hear you read the instructions we've read the instructions for the Ark of the Covenant which is basically a big box and overlaid with gold with angels on either side and um, and uh, again those three things according to the book of Hebrews even those three things in the Ark of the Covenant Aaron's rod that budded to prove he was the priestly tribe and family uh, the tablets of stone on which were the Ten Commandments written by the very hand of uh, the Lord and a pot of manna that did not uh, spoil uh, and God gives him the instructions for that. That Ark of the Covenant is to be placed in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, and only the high priest can go in there, and only once a year on the Day of Atonement. When they move it, they cover it up. Uh, the descendants of Levi uh, that are the priests, they are responsible for that. The Levites, those who are not descendants of Aaron, but are descendants of Levi, uh, they are the helpers, and they take care of things as well. We've read about the other items that are in there and all of the things that um, that God has uh, called upon them uh, to do for um, that faithfulness and to, to continue to be there in obedience to, uh, to God. Uh, the tabernacle is looking ahead to the time of, um, of the temple that would be built in the days of Solomon, and that's still a few hundred years away. Moses goes up the mountain with Joshua, his assistant, who will become the leader of the people after Moses uh, goes up the mountain and never comes down when they're right there at the banks of the Jordan River. But they've got a few years to get there before now. Again, Moses' life is 40, 40, 40, 40 years as, uh, raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, 40 years in the wilderness after he flees Egypt, and then 40 years leading the people through the wilderness, and we're just getting started with that. And Exodus 32 is a, one of those dark, dark chapters in the people, in the history of the people of God. And of course, the great movie, The Ten Commandments, portrays this very, very well. As Moses is up on the mountain, he's up there for a long time. And the people begin to get restless, and they forget about this God that had done so much for them. And of course, there are people that stir up the crowd, and they say, hey, make us gods who will go before us. We, we don't know where Moses is. We're not sure that he's ever coming back, coming down. And so Aaron, and being a weak, weak man, he tells him, well, give me the gold that you have, earrings, jewelry, whatever you have. And they made a golden calf. And when they did, they bowed down before this horrible, horrible thing and said, Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Can you imagine how the Lord God must have felt seeing those people down there breaking the commandments he is just now giving them? Um, and so God tells Moses, uh, these people have sinned a great sin. Uh, they have made themselves an idol in the shape of a calf. And basically, God tells Moses while he's still up on the mountain, just get out of my way. I'm going to destroy them. 
But Moses seeks a couple of times here. He seeks the Lord's favor, and he asks for God to remember his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to remember that these are his people, and Moses saves God. And as they come down in Exodus 32, uh, Joshua says, wow, sounds like there's a, a war down there. And Moses says, oh, no, it's not the sound of battle. It's the sound of a party. And that party is about to end. When Moses sees what's going on, when he is able to see, uh, once they get there at that point, uh, low enough, he throws the tablets of stone out of his hands and breaks them to pieces um, at the foot of the mountain. Later, God would redo that. And those would be the ones that would be found in the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and so Moses, Moses talks to Aaron and says, how in the world could you let this people do this? What did they threaten you with uh, to lead you into this? And Aaron, Aaron says, well, you know, all I said was, you know, let me have some of your gold. We, we burned it and uh, threw it in the fire and out came this calf. <laughs> wow. Wow. You think you've got some pretty good excuses for God? Well, so did Aaron. So did Aaron. Uh, Moses saw that the people were out of control. And so he uh, and the Levites, uh, again, the descendants of Levi, a family of Moses and Aaron, not all related to Aaron and, uh, directly, but they were all related through Levi. Um, and they punished the people. And so Moses goes back to the Lord and he says this in Exodus 32, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Moses was not just the great lawgiver, but he was the great intercessor. And what a, uh, perhaps the highest moment in Moses' life right here, where he puts his own life on the line in behalf of his people. And he tells God, they deserve to die. I get it. They've sinned a great sin. And if you can't forgive them, if you have to kill them all, then then blot my name out of your book as well. Uh, the Lord replies to Moses, I'll, I'll take care of the ones that have sinned. Um, I got this, but I'm not going to kill off all of the people. And so God uh, did exactly that. And then in the next chapter, the next two chapters in Exodus 33 and 34, there's a really interesting passage. Um, you know, we talk about those who would see God, you can't look upon God and live. And in Exodus 33, Moses, I think, is feeling a little, either he's feeling a little insecure about things, and he asks God, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord says to him in Exodus 33, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, which is that sacred name, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, that God gave himself to Moses at the burning bush. When he asked him, I don't even know your name. He said, I will proclaim my name, the Lord, the great I am in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And then this is what the Lord says at the end of chapter 33 in Exodus. There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. 
And we sing that song, A Wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. That's where that comes from. God hides Moses in the cleft of the rock and he passes by in front of him and Moses actually sees the back of God and it scares him to death. This happens in the first part of chapter 34 when Moses had gone back up the mountain, chiseled out two more tablets of stone. God had put his commandments back on them. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord, Yahweh, the great I am. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations. Well, there are two great aspects about God there. The great, merciful, loving, forgiving God, and also the God of justice, who will punish the wrongdoer. We've seen it in the people of Israel. God punishes those who have done wrong and who refuse to repent. We see it in God as he proclaims his name, as he passes by in front of Moses, and we see it throughout Scripture. The great mercy and love and blessing and forgiveness of God, his wonderful grace, but also his holiness. And he has told the people, you will be my, I've created everyone, I love everyone in the world, but you will be my special possession, my special people. And the job of the Israelites was to proclaim the name of the Lord and to live out his law. They're right there in the big fat middle of everybody as they sought to maintain uh, their uh, purity as a nation until the Messiah would come. And when that Messiah came, Jesus of Nazareth, he was a descendant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah, Jacob's son. He was a descendant of King David, uh, and he became the Savior. And in the first century after his death, burial, and resurrection, uh, less than two months, some, a few weeks later probably, he ascended into heaven, but less than two months after his resurrection, uh, Jesus begins the church on the day of Pentecost as recorded in Acts 2. And the church today is the people of God. There are no geographic boundaries. There's no theocratic law. We are found in every nation all around the world. And we follow God's law. And we are faithful citizens to the best of our ability. And we proclaim the name of the Lord, His love and His word, His grace and His mercy, His amazing holiness and justice. That is the God that we proclaim. That is the God that the children of Israel made a covenant with after they had been delivered from Egyptian bondage. That is the God that passed by in front of Moses. That is the God that punished the Israelites who worshiped that horrible, distasteful golden calf. And that is the God who forgave the iniquity of the Israelites and continued to lead and guide them just as he continues to lead and guide his people today. I hope and pray that as you continue to read through these amazing words, um, you'll find the presence of the God of Moses, the presence of the one who is the great I am, the Lord, the compassionate one, 
who forgives the sins of others through his grace and mercy, and who demands holiness and justice before his people and in his world. We pray for God's will to be done, beginning with you, beginning with me, beginning with his people today, the church. May God bless you. I hope to see you on Sunday, either online or in person. And I look forward to seeing you again next Tuesday. God bless.